0: By rattling snake and bullfrog's croak, the singing robin and jackalope.
1: By howling coyote and gator's snout, to the crossroads we dance about.
0: Welcome to Southern Bramble,
1: a podcast of crooked ways.
0: Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast, so if you want to see Austin and I get extra spicy with special guest hosts, head on over to patreon.com backslash Southern Bramble. If you subscribe, you'll get early access to podcast episodes, recorded video, monthly spell sigil, or recipe outlines. You'll get to also ask listener questions. And if you join the top tier, you'll be acknowledged at the end of each episode. So please, if you'd like to support us, check us out on Patreon.
1: I promise you won't regret it.
0: You're listening to Southern Bramble. I'm Marshall, the witch of Southern Light.
1: I'm Austin Bain X Bramble on Instagram,
2: and I'm the drag queen who can't tell time, Anita Clock, Aaron Oberin. <laughs> <laughs> I live. I a much funnier person. No,
0: I really appreciate that. That um, that really gave me what I needed for a minute.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've been so thankful to have like just pump and dumps of serotonin through my brain. Like I've been laughing so much this past week. Thank God for like really good friends because like I haven't
2: stopped laughing, girl. I'm living, I thought I could bring a chuckle. I'm a kind of witchcraft I feel. I'm just an idiot who likes to talk a lot about the swamp. So I'm here to give all the serotonin possible.
0: Yes, I love it. I love it. Okay, so uh, why don't we start a little bit with introductions. Uh, Aaron, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. Uh, My name is Aaron Oberon. I'm a witch. I'm an artist. And uh, I wrote a pretty good book one time called Southern Cunning, Folkloric Witchcraft in the American South. Um, I am uh, a down and dirty folkloric witch. And I love doing magic and talking with some of my favorite queers.
0: Yes, I love it. I love being one of your favorite queers.
2: <laughs> you truly are.
1: Aw, thanks. Sorry, Austin. That's fine. <laughs> I'm used to being. I'm used to being the 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 third uh, party involved, so it's okay. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> or sixth, or seventh, or eighth.
0: Uh, okay, so my first question specifically was, how do you identify in your craft? But I think you kind of said it, but did you say a folkloric witch?
2: Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I am always just a witch, right? It's I, I think labels are great. Obviously, I use them, wrote a book about one, but I'm a witch through and through. The labels are helpful because they help identify and kind of point in the direction. When you say folk witch or folkloric witch, you know, it gives someone a pretty good idea of what they're getting into. But at the end of the day, it's down and dirty, nasty witchcraft.
0: Yes, I love that. I love that. Um, when did you kind of start practicing? Like, when did this become something that you really were like, wow, this is it. This is this is what I'm into.
2: So the first time I, I technically started practicing when I was the ripe old age of 13 years old, mm. um, and I like telling this story because I think it speaks to a very specific time period of witchcraft and inaccessibility. I heard the word Wicca for the first time from Scooby-Doo and the witch's ghost. Yes, I see the gay, uh, the gay mm-hmm. ghost. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. happening in the background. <laughs> um, that was the very first time I'd ever heard the word Wicca and I was, I was probably 11 or 12, and I was like, oh, wow, what is this? And we did not have internet connection, but we did have at my church a library. And so I looked up a book trying to find this word Wicca, and like, is witchcraft more than just, you know, bullshit? And there was, in fact, a book on Wicca, how it is uh, one of the devil's great lies, um, how it is not an earth-based religion, it is uh, a way to you know, steal you into the heart of um, Satanism. And unfortunately for them, it did not work in scaring me away. I kind of thought everything they were still talking about in this little book was great, but uh, had no information other than what I could find on TV. And what else is on TV? TNT reruns every single weekday at about three o'clock in the afternoon, but charmed. So I was obsessed with Phoebe Hallowell um, I think it's because I just love a gallon of pixie cut. Halle Berry did it for me. The actress who played Phoebe did it for me. So, I did an empathy spell, very early two thousands, on my thirteenth birthday because that's what everything said. Everything said when you turn thirteen, hello, you're gonna find out you're a witch. And um, I definitely, I, I won't sit here and say I, I didn't feel something, and I and I remember holding a probably just dyed piece of glass that I would, thought was amethyst at the time and uh, in my head thinking oh my god it's heating up I can feel it heating up and throwing across the room and being terrified not doing anything for a really long time after that um, but that is officially the first time I ever cast a spell was watching was something that I I don't remember anything about it other than I took parts of the book of Psalms because we had um, several actually I had it right here. This was my very first. Uh, This is a Psalter. I just remember that no one else can see this is a Psalter, which is a um, just Psalms and Proverbs bound in one single book. And I used that as a spell book because it's bound in leather. It has this poetic language. I thought it was very magical. So I started after the initial freak out where I was like, what did I do? Did I summon the devil? Um, And realizing no, I probably didn't do much of anything, but I still wanted to keep going. I would kind of steal bits and pieces out of pop culture. Whenever a witch was depicted doing something, I was like, I bet I can do something with that. And so I tried to, and I would use the book of Psalms as a way to kind of find that poetic language, this spell work that I thought I really needed something poetic. And kind of did my own thing for a couple of years until in high school I met quote unquote real witches who told me I was doing it wrong. And I couldn't use the Bible. And um, I should also mention, I was a very devout. um, I say kind of hindsight twenty twenty now. I'm like, oh, you know, I turned my back on the church, but I really didn't. I was. uh, I have my baptismal date right here, (laughs) and I have uh, the day that I was confirmed and all that good stuff. Um, We don't call it confirmation Southern Baptism, but uh, I very much was a quote unquote Christian Wiccan for a long time. Thought of. Instead of a horned God, I just thought of Yahweh and the goddess as the Holy Spirit. And that was pretty much my deal for a long time until I met people that were like, no, that's all fake. Christianity is fake. But every other religion in the world is real. But Christianity is is a lie. And uh, Islam and uh, Judaism, those are all lies. But everything else, you know, flying meatballs in the sky could be real but not these things. So kind of lost my way for a little while. And what people know for me today as you know, a folk witch, folklore witchcraft practitioner, that started probably around college when I rediscovered folk magic and discovered it in an academic context and realized, oh shit, the stuff that I was doing at 13, just trying to piece together magic to help me as a little queer child survive in Central Florida, which apparently isn't Southern for some people, but I would love to come and tell me that. Mama. <laughs> yes, ma'am. People who have only been to Orlando or Miami think they know everything about this place. So, no, I did discover, you know, folk magic was a thing that there was nothing distant between the use of psalms and magic. In fact, it was really, really connected. And that kind of started this journey, (coughs) which would also eventually become bioregionalism, really embracing a place that I kind of grew up hating. Um, Austin can probably sympathize with this a little bit growing up in Florida. uh, I did not appreciate anything about it. I didn't appreciate being Southern. Um, Again, queer child, Southern values don't always blend well, but I have really come to realize that I can reclaim a lot of that stuff. And that's something that bioregionalism really taught me And that my witchcraft and my journey to kind of discover the magic in my own backyard allowed me to appreciate all of the things that I really hated growing up. And still, there were a lot of things that I didn't like. Con- uh, conversion therapy, not a great thing to go through, but there are some other aspects that were definitely worth picking up along the way. So what I do now really started, I'm going to say probably about 10 years ago.
0: So what specifically inspires you in your craft nowadays, specifically?
2: I mean, my inspiration comes from a lot of things. First and foremost, the land I live on. I try and find anything that I need for spell work. I mean, you should never quote unquote need anything to make magic happen, right? It's your... It's yourself, it's your relationship, it's the power I need to you. But, you know, there is a degree of materialism that we witches enjoy. Um, And as queer people, we are little goblins that love to collect trinkets and knickknacks. And combining those two things, I glance over at my wall of stones and bones and I try to grab things from the land if needed. And I say if needed, because most of the time to do what I need to do, it really is a scrap of fabric, a sewing needle, and a a couple local plants. Um, But I'm also really inspired by other practitioners, things that they're doing. Uh, The lovely Austin is a great inspiration, just being able to chit-chat. I'm inspired by my other friends who are practitioners. I'm inspired by other people who don't do magic the way I do or view magic the way I do, but their perspectives give me appreciate my own perspective. And I still get inspired by kind of pulp culture. Um, I remember American Horror Story Coven first coming out and, you know, there's a whole bag of worms there. It's really fucking problematic. Um, But there was something very cathartic about Misty Day, you know, this kind of unabashed uh, Stevie, um, Stevie Nicks in obsessed swamp witch that was really, really charming. And again, was a, a kind of reason for me to even go back and remember growing up and being surrounded by swamps and thinking they were gross and covered in mosquitoes and not a fun place to be. Um, But in in a lot of ways I owe pop culture a lot because there are things being embraced in pop culture that made me kind of backtrack and be like, oh yeah, I guess it was kind of cool going to sleep every night to kind of a song of mating alligators and, and bellowing frogs and, and that's kind of beautiful, even though I didn't appreciate it at the time.
0: I can literally hear it, like I when you said it out loud. I can hear the frogs, the cicadas, the 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 alligators, like the 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 gurgliness of random streams or creeks that like sit behind places. Uh, I can feel. I feel like I can kind of like hear that and envision it.
1: Y'all, when I tell you the other day I was out in. The woods and the cicadas were so loud, like not even like cicadas allowed, we know that, but like I think these things were deafening, yeah yeah we i
0: actually um I collect their skins when I find them on walks. I just have a jar of cicada skins um I have a couple ideas for how I feel like i can I can work with them, but uh they're like stuck on the trees randomly where I live when I walk, walk and walks. Um, and the reason I learned about this was because when I was younger, my dad, I mean, I'm a small child. I mean, maybe five, seven years old. He'd come behind me and he put one of the little cicadas, like, skins, like the, the exoske- exoskeletons that have been shed. He just set it on my shoulder, which, of course, they're spiny little hands. They grip on everything. It sticks to you. It sticks to your shirt. And he'd come up behind me and be like, Marshall. What is that on your shoulder? I'm like, I'm screaming. I'm a small child screaming like a, like a, like a, a a banshee because this thing that won't get off of my shoulder. And I don't know how many times he did that to me that I still screamed every time. I mean, were, you tra-
2: were you traumatized
0: for years and now i collect them i put them in my pocket and i take them home <laughs>
2: right? when i was a little kid i loved collecting their skins again i was a weirdo um i was definitely the weird little kid that uh picked up a bunch of shit off the ground and thought i was a witch and it was funny because i have a lot of dad related memories of cicadas as well uh, because I'm a divorce baby, so I would spend half the year down in Florida, actually a little bit more than half the year, um, and I would spend, uh, rotating holidays and I would spend summers in Maryland, so there were a lot more cicadas up there than they were where I lived down in Florida, and I remember one year when they were, I guess, coming out of the ground, I know everyone's talking about an act because of brood X. Um, but I remember my dog, like, jumping in the air, trying to eat them out of the air. (laughs) And, um, just kind of sitting on the porch while they would buzz around, uh, making my dad drinks because we're, you know, trailer trash. And just being this weird little kid that wanted to pick up every single, uh, I just thought they were dead at the time because I was a stupid kid. Um like organizing them, thinking I was doing some kind of witchcraft with them. Um, and it was very interesting kind of living that divided life because my mother was devoutly Christian. And so behavior like that was just unacceptable. But my father was an atheist who did not give a shit what I did, really. So I I could run around the house um, as long as I wasn't loud. Um, I could say, I'm going to go make a potion. And he'd be like, whatever, be back before the sun goes down, and it was fine. Um, so, yeah, lots of fun with cicadas.
0: Uh, I think we had very similar childhoods. I, uh, My mom, the Episcopalian, not quite. Baptist, okay. Sorry, not, it's Catholic light. Uh, my dad, atheist, she'd go out of town. We would go to Blockbuster and rated our scary movies because that was the only thing we could bond over. You, yes! I,
2: oh, my yes. God. That's- So not always rated R movies, um, because I wasn't allowed to watch Cujo, but yeah, we would bond over Lord of the Rings, um, Harry Potter, which I wasn't allowed to watch unless I was with Dad, and um, Star Wars. Very interesting. Look at Dad's being, um, well, my dad was a a dirtbag in different ways, but kind of cool sometimes.
0: Oh, we were watching, like, Scream, Carrie, Interview with a Vampire, um very adult things for a elementary school to watch, but that's okay. Um, I think, I think my mom actually never knew about that until she probably listens to this episode of the podcast.
1: My dad also growing up, I had a lot of, what is it with dads and and rated our movies? Um, my dad and I would watch the crow together. Um, and that was, that was cute. Uh, the the 1990 whatever version of the crow and um and then you know we would like go hunting and things like that which is why i skin okay. snakes and everyone's like freaking out about it
2: yeah there are some benefits to having very uh like hyper masculine dads i'm really in a lot of ways thankful that i did grow up with uh such a redneck upbringing because yeah like you said i know how to skin animals i know how to probably not anymore know how to butcher meat very well but i used to know how to get meat right off the deer bone um very much like was allowed to kind of go run off into the woods and do whatever the fuck i wanted as long as i got home before the street lamps turned on you know i was i pretty much had free reign and had i know how to shoot a rifle I can, how did I used to word it? I could shoot the corn off a cob from 50 yards away because we used to have, my uncle had a big old stake and we would horn, we would hang uh, corn cobs off of it. And that's how they taught me how to shoot a gun was um, to shoot the corn off the cob. I love that. I love that.
1: We would shoot rattlesnakes and alligators when they would get too big, but that's illegal. So don't do that.
2: If you get a hunter's (laughs) license, you can do it because of nuisance gators, which is, a little sad but you know it is what
0: it is i i fortunately don't have gators in texas or at least where i live i am, yeah not where i live uh there was actually one they found in a lake i mean this is a man made lake it's in and locked by suburban areas oh, yeah. uh they believe it was a pet alligator that someone had got too big for someone so they just kind of released in the lake and said oh hey spring breakers will be fine that-
2: <laughs> that's a tuesday for me it sounds like it we it is it's very that i mean we there was like a 500 pound gator that was caught walking across like a major highway in my uh in my town last year and it made the news he was a little celebrity he had nicknames it was cute
1: Well, I have two critiques for some. I see some plot holes in both of your stories, Marshall Mm -hmm. and Aaron. So the plot holes that I saw is, Marshall, you said you collect cicada shells, which isn't true because now you're only a plant witch. And Aaron, I don't understand how you think you can be Southern when you spent half your time in in Maryland. So that's... mm. I call bullshit on both of you. Let's and for those of <laughs> for those of you who don't know, these are um, jokes that, uh, well, one of them's a joke that I've heard about Aaron and the other one is a joke that Marshall's made about himself.
0: No one gets to make fun of me before I do. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, no, but that's a, no, let me, let me go ahead and go after this. So um, there's, Here's my belief on Southern identity because it is highly controversial. Um, mm. and I really don't fucking care what anyone else has to say. Um, and so I'm, i I want to make it super clear that for me, I grew up with two parents who held incredibly Southern values, uh, very much in, in good and bad ways. Right. So we have the idea of Southern hospitality was incredibly important to my mother. She was someone who would let people, you know, She would buy them hotels if they were falling on hard times. You always take care of your family, even when you don't really like them very much. You know, we always we are a fuck up family, just like everyone else. So when someone was struggling with drugs, we tried to get them whatever they needed um, in terms of like making sure they were safe. So the idea of Southern hospitality was something that we always grew up with. Um, The idea of people who have gone through loss, kind of like the church family, making sure that people always have food. It's always food. With Southerners, like, anything bad happens, and it's just, all right, time to bake 10 casseroles. um, Casseroles. Make a bunch of stew, bring it out. And I literally got brought up in the Southern Baptist Church, and my life revolved around this concept of kind of Southern values. And, unfortunately, that also intersects with being indoctrinated with white supremacist ideas and having to combat that, homophobic ideas having to combat that. And I find myself even today dealing with my own internalized homophobia and obviously internalized racism that exists. So I am one who firmly believes that when you are raised in Southern culture, whether it means geographically or through family ties, that it's a part of who you are. And also, the South is way more complex than even people in the quote-unquote deep South make it out to be. So... Yeah, I, I did spend half my year in Maryland with a the most redneck person I've ever grown up with in my entire life, my father, and the rest of the year I would be in central Florida, and anyone who's ever been to good old Polk County knows uh, that it is <laughs> Austin crossing himself at the mention of the dark place, um, the upside down, it is a wild place, and also a very multicultural place. There's a lot of different cultures intersecting and Southern is just one in a big old meat pie of culture.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I have to say, like to be perfectly honest, one of the things that you brought up earlier that really stood out to me was you said you used to kind of like hate when you were younger, like you you didn't identify with being Southern, or sorry, didn't identify with your local land or this uh, mentality or this idea. But the more you start of, getting into bioregionalism and understanding your land and and connecting with the the animals the plant life the dirt beneath your fingernails the more you got in touch with that local land the more you you became proud of it and that's actually something that has happened with me um i'll be honest a year ago i was not quite as in touch with my own personal land because i was very much in the Space of like universal deity, and I was working in a more grander scheme. And through some of my more recent uh, studies, I've gotten a little bit more local and a little bit more local, and then even more local to the point where I'm either foraging within probably like just a mile radius or I'm growing it myself. And, and a lot of these things have changed the way that I see where I live and I find pride in it again. And you're very right, uh, being in, from the South, it is so complex. It is so different from how, yes, there's going to be uh, uh, stereotypes. Yes, there's going to be an idea of what the South is historically and today. I think we all know that we live here, but there's so much complexities and, and mindsets and, and there's a spectrum of thoughts from people who live here. And I literally saw a meme the other day and it really stood out to me. And it was specifically, you have to stop thinking about the South as a whole bunch of Republican racists and start thinking about a different uh, uh, a plethora of people. A lot of them very left and liberal leaning being held hostage being held hostage by conservative governments. And so personally, that's where I fall, not to get too political on there, but specifically, Uh I want people to think about the South in a little bit more different than the way that you would think about it from an overall picture because it is so much more colorful. Let's get political,
1: mama.
2: (laughs) I was like, no, don't like, I mean, it's y'all's podcast. Y'all can have whatever saints you are. And um, disclaimer, the thoughts expressed by individuals are only the thoughts of those individuals who express them. That way you're off the hook for the shit I'm about to say. Um, excellent. The South is also a place of radical socialism in a lot of ways. Um, labor movements that have been incredibly powerful started in South. The Appalachian Mountain Range is also known for having a lot of really strong labor uh, unions and grassroots organizations fighting uh, pandemics in their own communities in different ways um that i don't have the the knowledge to speak on in those like grassroots ways but i know that they're happening we have so many like cornbread communists who are in these red states or quote-unquote purple state that people call florida it's not it's red um (laughs) who are on the grassroots trying to make change and there's kind of this movement of new south n-u-s-o-u-t-h um Hey, Southern upbringing, I need to pause so I can spell. Where people are like, you know what? Instead of just growing up realizing I fucking hated everything about the big city to escape it all, I'm going to fucking change things. I'm going to reclaim, I'm going to fight back, and I'm not going to allow the racist white fucks who claim southernness and try to co-opt it as their entire identity to erase the massive... I don't I don't even know the correct word to use but the massive role that other cultures and minority groups have played in southern culture you know as queer people we understand that our history has forever been erased and is continuing to be erased in florida we have so many destroyed tales and stories of queer life the discussion about queer history is something that is quote unquote political. We can't exist. We can't tell our stories. We can't tell our stories without it being a political movement. Our existence is somehow politicized, but everything else in the world gets to just exist because, well, that's what happened. In the South, it's not just queer stories. That's just something I'm, primary, I'm very passionate about, but the erasure of Black history, of Latin history in the South is immense the way and i don't know how it was for y'all growing up in school but the way in which the civil war is framed mm. how it is still referred to i i don't think this is still happening hopefully it's still not happening but there were textbooks that referred to it as the war of northern aggression um there was a lot of historical rewriting done by organizations like the daughters of the confederacy in an effort to whitewash and ignore the genocidal rage of slavers and slavers and all of that to say the south is such a complex tapestry of people who have been working from leftist perspectives who have been creating and mobilizing grassroots union or based organizations and trying to Demonstrate to the rest of the world stop fucking pushing us away white liberals in your blue city ivory towers stop ignoring us stop ignoring the way that we have contributed to the overall discussion and the overall existence of politics in this world just because we live in a place that you think is icky.
1: It is within the framework of white neoliberalism and within the framework that eventually trickles down into queer culture as well. I can guarantee you any queer person, any queer show in television or whatever that you looked up to when you were a kid, whether it was Queer as Folk or, um, um, damn it, I had another good one and I forgot what it was. but whether- Will and Grace will and grace um um what was what was the one that um god it was so good but also not great but one of mine so was
0: good. degrassi because there was one gay teen just one
1: one just and five. it was canadian yes but whenever you would look up to those shows it was always this perpetuation of get out of your small town escape your small town move to the big city Become a, you know, leave that place behind. It's not safe for you here, um, and I think we're kind of changing that perspective now. Especially the fact that we're having these conversations, that other people are having this this conversation. Metropolitanism doesn't equate to safety. Metropolitanism doesn't equate to progressiveness. It doesn't equate to inclusivity. And it doesn't include, uh, like, it doesn't equate to any of those things. So, all of that is to say um, sorry, my mic cut out that it, none of these concepts equate to progressivity just because you leave your small Southern rural town and I think what, what um, bioregionalism forces us to do is to kind of like what we've been talking about with animism is to reintegrate ourselves and un- not even that we were separate from an ecology to begin with but to make us aware of that ecology and that's very important in bioregionalism.
0: Well, Um, maybe we should go ahead and address specifically what bioregionalism is, because some people might not know that. I I just realized we've been talking about it, but we haven't actually introduced, like, the definition of it or or what it means to, to us individually. So, like, what is bioregionalism to you?
2: So, for me, I would take bioregionalism as the definition of looking at your area as defined by natural landscapes And including how your human settlement interacts with the natural landscape rather than political designations, right? So, you know, I do talk about Florida a lot, but Florida's massive. It is, you know, for me to get to my hometown from where I am now would take hours. Whereas in other parts of the country, hours gets you through four states. You know what I mean? so when i talk about bioregionalism i'm talking about my little slice of heaven right i'm talking about the swamps near me the ponds near me the streams ecosystems connected most closely to me which includes beaches and other things but looking at the area as defined by the landscape again including your urban settlements rather than political designations so i would not stop my practice at the county line you know i stop my practice where I stop moving, you know? If I don't go, I can't really say go farther south because the water is south, so (laughs) I can't really go across that. But, you know, my practice stops where I stop moving with it, if that makes sense.
0: No, no, it definitely does. Um, Like I said before, understanding the land that I live on and, and I live in a very vast state as well, Texas. I mean, literally, it, it takes 10 hours to go uh, uh, 10 to 12 hours to go across the state. It is just one of those massive States with four different types of regions and sub regions. So I could tell you about like where I live, but that's going to be very different from 10 hours that way yeah. or, or three hours that way. Oh, well, there's that way in another state. But, um, but it's, it's made me start really thinking a lot more about when I think about my local land spirits when i think about where i live i live in a very more metropolitan city and it is it is one of the the, the ivory towers in in a red state <laughs> actually oh, I like that because that's a very i was so proud priv- it is a, it is a very good description of it because i am in an echo chamber i live in the neighborhood of this city um, the further i go out i have to remind myself on a regular basis to not be surprised when i get stared at because i do i remember being in a grocery store uh like one it, it was actually in my hometown just right on the edges of the of the outskirts it's a suburb of of this blue ivory tower so it was a little further away and i remember like wearing these sparkly shoes and this woman walked up to me and she just goes can I just say I think you are so brave to wear those those are beautiful and I think you are so brave and I was just like oh thank you and it was just one of those moments where I appreciated, I obviously, I it probably actually took her some, some gusto to come up and, and say yeah. something like that, I imagine. But I appreciated it, but on the other hand, it was also kind of like, a, I see you, I see you, I'm gonna rub it in your face that I see you because you're the only one. And it, it was definitely one of those things that I have to recognize based off of where I live. Um, but at the same time, I've also gotten a lot more proud of that bravery it took to wear those sparkly shoes in defiance of what was expected. Um, that's one of the reasons that I really got into this direction of witchcraft because it felt like a defiance against what was suggested, what I was supposed to be, what I was supposed to be doing. It felt like not just a rebellion, but a, I will not fit in this preset mold that was expected of this suburban sun. And um, so my sparkly shoes and this queer ass are gonna move into the city in the red state and 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 try to get a little bit more active by voting local honestly by participating in the land that i live on by cultivating a piece of space that i can make mine
2: i think that's really powerful especially just that that single statement of vote local it is radical to look at your local landscape your local political landscape and say this can make a difference and to genuinely involve yourself and genuinely become invested i mean i don't know the numbers off the top of my head but we know that turnout in local elections versus larger scale even state and especially you know for the entire country, things like the presidency, those are the things that get a lot of attention, but your local municipality has so much important shit. And when we get into bioregionalism and how politics intersects with that, people, I, I see it everywhere, in Marshall, I'm sure you get this more than most of us, but witchcraft can't be apolitical no matter how much people want it to be. People say all the time, you know, you're an artist or you're a celebrity or you're this or you're that you know you really shouldn't you should stick to that and so talking about politics well guess what Mary it's all political it all intersects and when we take that regionalism as Austin pointed out as well and make it focused on your area you have to be involved in these local elections because that's where things like ordinances about how space is preserved and sure there's a little bit of issue with the thinking of like preserving nature, but really it's it's what we got it's what we have that can work in a political landscape that can allow us to do that um, things like in Key West how they're banning and have banned certain kinds of sunscreen. Why because The sunscreen that bleaches into the water when tourists come down when people go swimming in such vast amounts are actually poisoning reefs there. It is killing the and that's something that in a state election is not going to get any attention is not going to make any impact, but the locals that live there, they know this. They're listening to their scientists who are studying these changes. And so they're passing laws that protect those areas. You know, we have, uh, I live on unceded Seminole territory and the Seminole Nation is incredibly involved in making sure that they retain their legal rights and their legal rights are being threatened by things that the state is attempting to do by taking over control of federal land that historically the state does really really poor jobs in managing and maintaining laws about preservation and often will bypass and cut corners to sell it off to development and encroach on sacred lands so we have things like the 401 that have been passed and still in the process that are violations that are harming the land that are also harming people's lives you know we have things like the oketobe water releases that are vastly misunderstood and people are blaming things like red tide on the gulf on Okeechobee water releases instead of focusing on their backyard because our local scientists have told us well the reason you're getting red tide on your beaches is because you're using industrial level fertilizer on your private lawns and that's bleaching into the water table and that's harming the water but that requires people to have personal responsibility instead of blaming something bigger. And the journey of bioregionalism, tying it back, is to take personal responsibility. Yes, big government makes a lot more destructive actions on large scales, but when we start on our small scale and say, I can take a degree of responsibility here, I can make a degree of change, I can do something meaningful, then we create those barricades for oppressive forces and capitalist forces from encroaching on those areas. And we can continue to make bigger changes. We can, you can multitask. You can look at the big picture and change the space around you at the same time. Off soapbox.
0: It's fine. I appreciate that soapbox. It was, um, it was delicious. I enjoyed it. (laughs) um and speaking of you kind of said it and i know austin you've said this too uh politics can't be taken of witchcraft because witchcraft has had a hand in politics for centuries kings queens presidents people have been using the occult for means for good or for bad we know very 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 clearly the nazis were very knee deep into the occult and that's probably a whole nother episode all on its own Uh, uh i hear they have a space on the moon now um But uh, bringing it back to bioregionalism, uh, (laughs) uh, I actually want to talk about, there we go, back to it, back to it again. Uh, I actually want to talk about the thing that you brought up earlier, and I actually love, I just love the imagery and the verbiage I get when you say swamp witch.
2: Yeah, I very much, again, labels are fun and all, but the swamp really is kind of my go-to place of power, right? And... I do like that term, but at the same time, I do get slightly annoyed. I said I would get off my soapbox, but I won't. Um, I think there's an aesthetic value to this word swamp witch, right? That people like.
1: Misty day. Huh? Misty day. Misty
2: day, right. As much as as much as I like her as a character in a TV show, it did birth this kind of idea of like, oh, I'm a swamp witch. Like, I just want to have perfect makeup but live in a dirty place, right? Um, And that's fully not (laughs) how that works. Um, I think taking the name witch, you're making a declaration. And this is where when people have differentiation, differences in how they define witch, it gets a little complex. My opinion is always, you know, whatever. Anyone can call themselves a witch, but know that you're announcing something to the spirits who have controlled this tradition forever. Because I think witchcraft, there's a, a larger kind of idea of what a tradition is, but witchcraft in and of itself, when you apply that word to yourself, you're making a declaration of something. And I think you should be prepared for what that means it might invite some things that you aren't exactly thrilled with because witches are dangerous creatures witches are people who have dealt in poison and subterfuge and political upheaval and quote-unquote dark things forever and i think that's because inherently witchcraft is a wild practice i think a lot of people are so scarred by the satanic panic, at least in America, I can only only speak to America. I think people are so scarred by the satanic panic and how that influenced things that they are terrified to acknowledge the fact that the history of witchcraft is not a happy-go-lucky thing. And when we get into something like swamp witchcraft, the swamp is a very unforgiving place. Anything wild is always going to be unforgiving, but the swamp is a place of decay. And that's not a bad thing. Decay is life-giving. When something breaks down to its most bare essentials, it seeps into the soil, it seeps into the water, and it feeds into life. You have Mushrooms are kind of this perfect in, in cancellation of this, right? Mushrooms are born from death. They really feed on that. They can grow and blossom out of these dead bodies swamps themselves the color of the water people are like oh it's a gross brown but when you get into the science of it you understand oh no it's not gross it's not dirty the brown comes from the releasing of a chemical called tannin and tannins it's essentially like a a big old pot of tea is what's happening when cypress needles drop or um, in my area we have cypress swamps and sloughs and then we also have mangrove swamps which people aren't as familiar with um, mangroves are a salt-tolerant um, species of plant that grow close to the coastlines and play a role in creating estuaries and creating areas of brackish waters. And they can have their own swamps as well. So you can have freshwater swamps that people are familiar with from all the spooky movies and, you know, the, the creepy sh- shack surrounded by towering cypress and, and hanging uh, Spanish moss. But there are also saltwater swamps um, and in my area, it's mostly mangrove swamps and mangrove forests that are these places that can flood um, But that brown water. It's not dirty. It's full of life and decay and it goes hand in hand. So the swamp is this place of death. It's also a place again, the water is dark of danger. So where someone up north, and I, and I can speak to this because I have led a split, right? In Maryland, it's a pretty safe place. Even the quote-unquote wild spaces, yeah, there's a couple of swamps here and there. You know, swamps aren't, like, isolated to just Florida. Obviously, we're known for it a little bit more. It's a little bit more famous for us. But Maryland, when I lived up there, it was, again, there's a reason why I was allowed as a kid to just run around. Because there's deer and Stags can be scary like I'm not gonna say that you won't get it'll you'll fucking get killed, but they're skittish They're gonna run away from you You can and I know because I did this you can literally just spend all day Slamming through a stream and just bouncing around and and going off the water and splashing through the water without a care in the world down here ma'am no because again It's a land of hidden things alligators which I wear ritual jewelry depicting them because they are a sacred animal to me. Um, they are iconic to Florida for a reason, and they're very powerful for me personally. But they are hiders. They're ambush predators. So it's very, and this is something that as someone who's, I, 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 I describe myself as kind of a, a an idiot <laughs> a lot. I'm, I'm pretty carefree when I'm in my free time at at work or when I'm doing you know, things in a professional setting, yes, I'm very serious and I want to get my work done, but when it's just me, I'm kind of a dumbass. Um, I like to live free and unfortunately that can also lead to when I'm going hiking or if I'm going through um, wetlands and areas like that, I can kind of space out. And so there have been situations where I've gotten a little too close to the waterline, right? And it takes my husband, who normally comes with me when I go out in the wild, going, you need to back away right now because there's just the ever so slight lifting of something towards the edge of the water and it isn't a log, you know. And somehow, God given, I have never gotten it that close to being in danger, but there have been times where it's like, hey, there's something there. And that's because they biologically are incredibly adept at hiding. So there is danger. And honestly, alligators are not the most dangerous animal in the swamp. They really aren't. They're the most present in your mind. Snakes, even though not all snakes are poisonous, a snake bite is going to fucking hurt no matter what. And you can have all the little rhymes that you want about uh, red touch, yellow kill a fellow that you want. You're when that thing's coming at you or on your back, you're not going to think about that. You're going to run. And, more than even that, boars, an invasive species, I might add, introduced by the Spanish to destroy indigenous settlements, um, boars are very, yeah, I see, your, I see your eyes wide on that. Yeah, um, I'm very passionate about talking about invasive species, um, and I maybe don't always have the respect for them that I should um, in some cases. Uh, boars are incredibly dangerous, and they are bold they will come after you and they will go live in these swamps. That does not, they'll live anywhere. They'll live in sand dunes up in St. Augustine. I lived there for a number of years on the beaches in the sand dunes. They would live there and nest. And so again, coming back to why, why do I think it's sometimes annoying to hear people just kind of willy nilly throwing the word swamp, witch around and just, Normally, I really don't give a shit what anyone calls themselves. Most of the time, the place I get mad is when people are using it to turn a profit because they love the aesthetic of the swamp witch. But again, what are you declaring to the world? What do you know about these places? What do you know about what is hiding beneath? Why do swamps exist? Why do sinkholes exist? In bioregionalism, you have to not just know your magical landscape, you need to know your scientific landscape. You need to understand your geology. Florida is famous for also having sinkholes. Um, (laughs) I have very personal experience with this. Uh, My hometown has a huge sinkhole problem. And uh, my family went bankrupt because we... Trailer trash people always feel like the ultimate achievement is to buy a home. And I will never buy a home because we bought a home when I was a child and it was on a sinkhole and we lost all resale value on it. And at least that's what people told us. So we, I, um, the local theme park had a Publix across the street that closed down for I think a year because a sinkhole opened up in the parking lot. So why does that, why does that happen? Why do so many sinkholes happen in Florida? Because of the geology, because we have a limestone basin limestone is a porous substance over the years. And this is also part of understanding swamps in the Everglades, because um, you will find in the Everglades things called cypress domes. And these are patches of cypress forest that literally, when you look at them from afar, form a dome with the trees in the center growing the tallest and the trees in the outer edges growing the smallest. And that's because those are the older trees. The older trees that have been around more that have dropped their needles over time, that have leached more tannins into the water, have actually added to the erosion of the limestone, meaning that they can get deeper, they can collect more nutrients and grow bigger. So we understand the role that limestone plays in our geology, we understand how it affects the wildlife, we understand how it affects our urban spaces and the dangers that that imposes, and then we begin to understand our land a little bit more and that adds to another aspect of being in the swamp the swamp is not just a place of danger or hidden things or decay it's also a place of purification our swamps um some i've heard some people refer to uh swamps as like the liver of an ecosystem because it filters everything it cleans everything the everglades are incredibly important for the entirety of the united states because It filters because it cleans. It takes in all those things that could harm the animals and cleans them. The limestone does that as well, which is why we have some of the most beautiful springs in the entire country because the limestone filters this water up. It cleans the salt out of it. It brings it all to the surface so that we have these places that are known as spaces of healing. That's why um, back in the 1800s, Florida was a destination for very wealthy individuals in the early 1900s, because we had these quote unquote healing springs. We had a good climate for healing because you wouldn't have to deal with the frigid cold. So the entire state then becomes this place of potential healing, of cleansing, of reflection on those things. So understanding bioregionalism, understanding the swamp doesn't just stop at the water. It doesn't just stop at the scary animals. It goes down into the bedrock. It goes into getting an understanding of science. And I'm not a scientist, uh, at least not a biologist, but I take my time to listen to those people. And when I do, it gives me a lot of aha moments of realizing, why do I feel at peace in a place that could kill me? Right? Why do I feel at peace in a swamp? You know, we very poignantly growing up, were not allowed to go out at night. Now, again, most of my family were pretty trashy and would go out and purposely try and find gators at the water's edge and wrestle them. Uh, <laughs> I see the widening eyes, but listen, we were trash and there wasn't anything to do except for meth and wrestle alligators. So that's what you get. And But we weren't allowed to. But when my magical practice would grow and I would have moments of desperation Um, I can think to a very specific time where I was a very lost person, had gone through a lot of troubling things recently, and I felt I was at a loss in my personal life, in my magical life, and I just went outside. And one of the things that is interesting is, again, this image of the swamp witch, right? in tattered robes going into the water and communing i'm not gonna fucking do that <laughs> i'm not gonna fucking go into the water in the middle of the night i'm also not wearing robes i'm wearing sweatpants and an old t-shirts with holes in my armpits i'm a sad witch going out to the edge of a chain link fence that separates my uh defunded half suburban development that ran out of money trying to drain this swamp and now we live here because it's a horrible Uh, real estate investment that we could actually afford. And I go to this chain link fence and I'm overlooking this dark patch of trees and water. And I'm hearing those frogs croaking. I'm hearing that kind of deep guttural sound of alligators during mating season. And I just yell. And I yell for it to eat the problems that I have. I yell for the swamp to consume it and I call the spirits by the names that they've given me or the actions that they've given me that they identify as names. And I I release the names of the people troubling me to the swamp. I release my sense of hopelessness to it and I ask it to eat it, to shit it out, to turn it into something better for someone else because I can't hold on to it anymore. And that was an act of magic that had no precept. It didn't have a wand or a stang or flying ointment or anything. It was me, desperate, depressed, calling out to the land to devour that which did not serve me anymore. And that mix of hunger and quiet that also exists in the swamp of stillness because a swamp is defined by the lack of movement in the water. It is sitting water. It is peaceful. It is patient and it's hungry. And those are all things that go into the complications of what it means to call yourself a bioregional witch and in my case is someone who is a swamp witch.
0: Wow. That, that definitely uh, expands quite deeply on your sense of bioregionalism. I had never considered that before.
1: Now, how are you gonna put that in a book? Bu- how, how, how are you? <laughs> no, <laughs> um, Aaron and I joke around with each other because um, I've heard that story before. And, and I'm like, you know what the gag is, gal, is like, Yes, that is the real, that is the realest essence of witchcraft. And I'm sure if you, if a publisher read that, they would just be like, Mama, where's the candles?
2: (laughs) Mama, where's the candles?
1: (laughs) Where's the capitalism, Mama? It's, it's so funny that you chat about that. So I think I... Um, At least I think that I'm relatively known for being a Florida witch as well. But the thing is, is I don't claim swamp witchery because I don't live in a swamp, Um, although there are swamps close to me. But I think one of the things about bioregionalism, too, is understanding that individual biomes are really small. Excuse me, they're very small. And like Aaron and I probably live uh, quite a few hours from each other and the way that I practice and the plants around me are going to be very different from the plants that they um, have or the, the spirits that they interact with and things like that. And I mean, Marshall, I can only assume the same for you because Texas is also huge.
0: Oh yeah. No. Uh, I know the same sort of like the plant matter, the area that I live in this. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i in the middle of an actual city city. So I, I have to go kind of a distance to get to something that would be more forested, at least 20 to 45 minutes to get to an area that would actually not be um, heavily paved, if that makes sense. So a lot of times, like I have to think about my lo- the my local land spirit doesn't necessarily look like something you'd see from the woods it's not going to be quite this this half stag half man half half a skeleton sort of thing it's a little bit more industrial i feel like there are bits that make up this spirit that are shiny and and reflective the same way a lot of the building structures that are in the downtown city that i live near um, I imagine or or visualize this spirit to be. Um, I, I it's funny. I I love my city, but I, it's quite the trickster spirit <laughs> because, uh, uh like uh, you know, traffic is one of those things that has has kind of come and gone and become one of those things that all of a sudden really brings out the anger in so many people, and it affects the way that moods uh, uh ebb and flow within my region specifically my city and and the further out you get it changes uh but i remember like just trying to go to a graveyard at night but because i live in the city they are locked after six period so i was taking a class and it was literally saying like go into a graveyard at night and uh and collect this thing and then and do this thing and i'm just like i can't i tried i'll get arrested (laughs) like that i can't do that i'll go to a park and i literally went to a park and the only place that, that wasn't visible or wasn't close enough to an edged fence by a highway or where people would be walking their dogs too close by was in a ditch and a drain. So like I crawl down into this ditch, into this drain and I'm like, okay, I'm deeper into the earth. Like I'm, I'm still in the city, but I'm closer to the, to the roots of the ground. And I'm just like, oh shit, there's whispers up there. Do you think they'll smell my incense going? i have to bring incense. Why did I bring incense? You know, <laughs> it's just one of those things that... Um, I have done that thing where you scream at it. But for me, it wasn't being... I didn't have the freedom to just walk outside and do that. Um, I had to do it in a a way that would work with where I live. So for me, I burn a lot of shit. Obviously, myself included. (laughs) But I'm... (laughs) Yes, I survived the burning times. And... And... (laughs) I'm sorry. I, let's move on. Uh, but so like, literally, I, I, I do burn a lot of stuff with my practice, because the way that I can scream has to be silent enough to not disturb my neighbors. So I have to work within a way that works within the structures that I am in. So I'm in a second story condo, I'm lucky enough to have a patio, so I don't have a lawn that I can put lots of different types of plants in that take over a space I have to use pots I have to use shells um, I'm, I'm hopefully growing vines that are gonna kind of work their way over the edge but um, I don't have the same ability that someone else who lives maybe 35 minutes away from me or you know another state like Florida
2: well I actually think that's really important to talk about because a lot of I was in a lot of ways pretty lucky to grow up in in we moved around a lot, you know, money wasn't always a thing that we had. Sometimes we get, I'll say kicked out is a nice way to put it, of certain places. Um, and so there were places where I live where, yes, on the other side of the chain link fence is a swamp. There were places where I lived where, yes, I can walk literally 20 feet from my front door and get to the edge of a lake. And there's places where I've lived where I'm on the second floor of an apartment and I can't do what I've done for years, which is ecstatic dance because I have, lovely neighbors that live beneath me and i'm sure they would not appreciate uh the stamping of my feet on their ceiling you know and i currently live in a relatively urban environment and i the same as you and i don't want to get it twisted that i am some swamp hag living out in uh bumfuck nowhere like i live in a pretty suburban area and the way that i view it is those places that I grew up with have eaten parts of me and I've eaten parts of them. Like they will always be with me. And I think there's, I, um, shameless plug, I do talk about this a little bit in my book, when you do have a bioregional practice and when you are kind of initiated into what your land spirits have given you, right? Those secrets that they possess, maybe it's not some ancient untethered lineage, but it is something between you and those spirits that is your witchcraft that is your land um a part of that is always with you and always makes you homesick and so i get to live a very safe life now where i am in a lot of ways but there there are some tethers that i feel but those tethers can be overcome by realizing that we are animals we are nesting we are making our homes yes our homes are made of concrete and wood but those are still parts of the landscape that we have added in we don't look as dam as something just oh so unnatural and horrific the way that witches kind of almost demonize urban living even though most of us do live urbanly now and i think there's a, a degree of exoticism and i definitely catch myself doing this i've probably done it five times or more in this podcast alone where I look back to the time where I did have a swamp in my backyard and how powerful that is and take for granted the power that comes with this landscape, because the power isn't from how wild it is or untamed, because most of us don't and will never will live in a truly untamed place. The power comes from the relationship with those landscapes. And it's something that I know I undervalue and is is an ever-changing practice for me to value it and so I really appreciate your conversation about kind of the chrome and the industrial aspects of the spirit of a city of, of a metropolis because that's still bioregionalism. regionalism that's still a region defined by the structures of the animals that live there because we are animals
0: that makes so that makes so much sense I had not Sometimes I think a lot of the things in my head come together as ideas, but don't always come together as a full picture till I can kind of sometimes bounce them around with more people. And then all of a sudden I see that there is a real connection going on here. It's not just me and the thoughts in my head. I'm hoping people that are listening to this are going to have the same sort of realizations or, or ways in which they can kind of take it home to their practice too.
2: I think it's so useful to have people to bounce this up. That's why like Austin and I were just talking about this off air not too long ago about how... My practice has really benefited from having confidants, from having people to talk to. And Austin is definitely one of those people for me where being able to talk about our practice, our practices has helped me develop my own practice and and reflect on it. I think it's, even though as Austin said, we have pretty different biomes and biomes change radically. And there's a, a state forest near me where you can go from a pine flatwood to a lowland swamp, to a riverbank, to an oak hammock in literally less than a half mile trail. And these are very distinct biomes and it's all contained right there. So we aren't, as much as I talk about the swamp, where I live now, I'm connected to urban, swamp, slough, and uh, shoreline. It's literally my, I, I, Go to work and I pass the beach like two or three times a week for work so all of these places are right next to each other and we don't have to again I think labels are fine for connecting with people and kind of giving like a, a little snapshot like oh you know what to expect when I say folk witch. you know that you're going to expect more folk magic less structured um you have to do things this way uh that's cute and all but that doesn't really capture what someone's doing
0: it is kind of like the difference between okay i've read this specific ceremony i've done these specific steps that this book has told me versus kind of like the idea of of branching away from okay i'm sure i use all these steps but what other things am i feeling what other things are stepping in here what am i hearing what am i smelling what type of what type of things are coming into my mind when I say these words. I know that a lot of times I personally share different spells that I have written, rituals or, or, or sigils and stuff on my, my media all the time. The thing is, is what most people don't, most people end up like asking tons of questions in the comments like, what if I don't have that plant? What if I don't have that herb? What else can I use? And I'm just kind of like, here's the deal. I put up a general outline. Sometimes I will put a general incense a pretty good catch-all herb or maybe one that has maybe a, a few of them that have several of those of, of those connections or those virtues um a lot of my incantations that i make are rhyming because they sound quite aesthetically pleasing and i enjoy that but sometimes it's a conversation between me and the spirit of a of a of one of the sweet gumballs i literally have a wound up thing of pine and my hair it's a bond, it's a it's a contract I have with the spirit of pine. I put it in my window and it protects it and I give it a piece of myself. I didn't read that anywhere. Of that wasn't a spell, that wasn't a ritual, there was no charging of this. It already had spirit, it was there, it existed, it existed outside of my window. Um, that was one of the things that really started to kind of pop up in my mind lately and I see people be like, okay, I've seen all these one-on-one books, all these beginner books, like, what are intermediate books? Like, what are more like advanced books? And I'm like, that's actually kind of where it ends because the advancement comes from the practice. The, the advancement comes from the knowledge gained above and below. It, it comes from, from what you do with it.
2: And you can't write a book about that.
0: No, you can't.
2: That's where we get words like mystery. And I used to... I fully used to be that gal who would be like, "Ugh, people who talk about the mysteries are pretentious or whatever." And sometimes they still are. I'm not going to sit here and say, "All right," but <laughs> when you get into the crux of it, the mystery is that 201 that people are looking for—that experience that isn't explainable. Those things that you are going to have to experience because witchcraft is going to always be experiential. It should be a living tradition. It should be your tradition that you are building within yourself and within your land. It's not stagnant and it's not a collection of candles and capitalist incentivized purchases that you make. Not that you can't go have fun tools. And I do, I have some very nice things that I've procured over the years. And I, and I, I enjoy You're the mean. things that I work with are things that I've gotten off the dirt, off the ground. Whether that's traipsing through an unmanaged trail in the Everglades or my backyard that has a cypress pond in it that I can go and pick up, pick up a stick off the ground and turn that into a broom. You know, you, you were talking about how people get caught up about what if I don't have this herb? What if I don't do that? I work with three plants in my entire practice palmetto, cypress, do I work with three? Do I work with two? Oh, resurrection. Mangro- mangrove. Mangrove. Well, the man- yes, the mangroves would make it into six. So that's really, ooh, six, that's a big number for me. You know, I don't work with a whole lot of other things. If I need an incense, it's cypress needles. And those needles are normally something I collect once a year after a storm, if I find a branch those babies are going to get stripped i'm going to thank the spirits i'm going to thank the storm and i'm going to take that wood and use that to make charms and staves and talismans i'm going to take those pine needles and i'm going to turn those into things for incense, for bruise um, when i go and collect palmetto fronds that's how i make my broom that's how i make my whisk that's how i make my cords you can strip down palmetto and you can cord it and you don't have to go out and buy anything to make this work. This, there's no necessity to have money. You can go out and you can strip these things and you can teach yourself how to braid a cord and you can make a witch's letter or a curse cord or a devotional cord by plying together a frond that you have stripped. You know, if I need a... A devil's Club I'm gonna go and I'm gonna collect it from a bougainvillea which grows nearby that is going to be broken down by one of our many hurricanes You know what I mean you don't need to You don't need to have this expansive Cunningham's encyclopedia of herbs apothecary You need a relationships Relationships with your land and in, in these plants. I can do everything from purification to maleficium with a single plant ally because we've spoken because we've connected a bond
1: one plant, mama, one one plant. I think that's really important to to understand for a lot of people like spirits who connect you to other spirits who are going to teach you a lot of other things right and this 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 relationship um, of you know the the court that you have, or you start to build the spirit court, right? Like encountering particular plant spirits that I've had out here that are local to my environment, like um, the the priests of the trees that I live around. That I don't want to go like super far into, but like these these tree spirits who are priests and they hold secrets. <clears throat> Of, uh, of like necromancy and like learning how to engage with that, that I'm kind of slacking on some of that work, but I I'll get back to it. Um, <laughs> but like getting on top of that and, and, you know, delving into that, those are the relationships that you build when you, start to build a relationship with the land and it doesn't even have to be contractual. It doesn't have to be give and take you, in my personal opinion, I mean, it depends on the spirit, but most of the time you should be giving more than you're getting. Um, and then eventually it kind of balances out into this symbiotic relationship.
0: Actually, I really like that you said that. Um, One of the big things that I think people think about all the time is when I do spell work, I need these ingredients and I put them together and then I do them. The thing is, is when you're working with an animism, when you're working with a relationship with your land and bioregionalism, you're putting so much in all the time, every day, not expecting anything back. So I water my plants and sing to them on a regular basis. I walk my dogs and I literally like... I I, This sounds so silly. I pet the Japanese maple that's out in our courtyard as I walk down down every day. When it's raining and all the leaves are so heavy with water, I lean over and I shake them off a little bit so they can spry back up. I don't expect anything from them. The thing is, is I'm doing this because, one, I want to have a nice relationship with my land. But two, I may need something from them one day. And it's not necessarily that I'm doing this for that. It's, it's a relationship. And the thing is, is relationships are two way streets, but the thing is, is before I can ask for anything, I better have put in the work. I better have made that relationship. I need to have built that trust, that bond. I know when, when people are working within, and DD work and you do mantras on a daily basis, you're not asking for anything. You're just setting aside time to make some devotion.
2: Absolutely. And thinking in terms of building those relations. I like that you talk about petting the trees and Austin not expecting things when you give offerings, because that's one of the things that a lot of people ask me, like in bio, if you're doing a bioregional practice, I'm used to giving money. Do the land spirits want money? In my experience, no, what the hell are they gonna do that? Money for the dead, yes. Money for the gods, yes. Money for the land doesn't really make a ton of sense unless you're thinking of making a donation to a local kind of conservancy group or work that or organization that works with kind of keeping local ecosystems alive um manatees are a big deal down here and throughout the state especially around the spring so there's a lot of organizations and you might think of that as an offering i personally don't know that the land even uh, like what does the land understand about like an organization and how your money interferes with that. I'm not saying that the land is dumb, right? I'm just saying that I don't know that that's even on the the spectrum of what an offering is for the land. And for me, it used to be like, oh, I'll leave, you know, something harmless, like an apple. And that was my kind of idea of an offering. And I still don't think that that's like harming anything, but I started kind of thinking about it and like, is that really beneficial to anyone though? What do the spirits gain from that? in that relationship and so i've very much changed my idea and concept of what an offering to the land is i offer my time i offer being with them if they want me and just listening and i don't even mean listening in in terms of mediumship or listening for spells not that i don't do that sometimes you know a gal gets caught and she sits out there and says all right give me what you got but most of the time it's just sitting there and listening to the sounds and allowing myself to have zero expectations, to be there with those spirits, to feel their presence. And I have it written down because I didn't want to forget it. Austin, I love that you said that there are plants who are priests. I think it's really interesting that we think of the land as one dimensional as it's just a collection of spirits. And we think of being a witch as a thing that we do as humans. We humans are, can be witches and, and do witchcraft, but there are animals who are witches. There are plants who are witches. And I don't mean species. I mean individuals. I think it's really important, and this is something often I believe that you've spoken on in the past, that you know, just because you have a rose doesn't mean that that rose is going to teach you love magic because that's what we expect of it. Plant spirits are just as multidimensional, multifaceted as we are. And there are plants who are witches and priests. There are plants who might, in their very own regard, be a deity in a way that we don't conceive of deities as Western practitioners. So I think it's, I I just like playing with that and just kind of letting that sit with myself and reminding myself that. It's not just this overarching, the spirit of cypress, the spirit of Palmetto, but the individual plants and bodies that I'm interacting with, that have their own personalities and characteristics.
0: To me, um, this is another one of those things that I take, I go on walks a lot and when I do them, they're somewhat meditative. I notice that things will pop in my head as I'm walking, as I'm thinking, as I'm breathing in the air, it's one of those moments of I'm surrounding myself with my, my 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 local space, my local land. And on several occasions, I have come across things that I'm like, oh, well, look at that flower. Oh, well, look at that. And then it'll just start cascading and, and it turns into this like this uh, a snowball effect of ideas. And, and one of them for me specifically was morning glory. Um, I didn't read this in any book. I didn't, I didn't see this anywhere. I just felt this presence. You, you said, you know, plants can sometimes be deities themselves. For me personally, I very much revere the morning glory. It is a extremely invasive vine type of, of plant. It grows, it takes over a whole space. It only blooms in the shadows it only blooms between day and night, these between spaces, uh, for me, that in itself was literally a a flower announcing itself as an in-between space. Uh, So for me, like I started to uh, collect them, not too many at a time because I wanted to make sure that, that it was a respectful relationship, never more than what was available. And now I'm growing morning glory hanging over my patio and it literally killed off the moonflower in the same pot and it's taking over the space because it was like, fuck you, moonflower, I am here and I am a goddess. So I'm really, really enjoying, uh, I really enjoy creating that relationship with Morning Glory. I, I don't have to know what it's telling me from a book because I knew it the moment I saw it growing wildly in my neighborhood. And the same thing with a, a wild strawberry patch. I saw a strawberry patch in a field of dandelions and I just kind of noticed it, it looked, it was so tiny, it was still growing. It looked like a little heart. And I immediately had this this thought process of of of, of a spellcraft that was coming together, that specifically could be used in heart magic—not love, but actual heart. Um, cardiac. Cardiac. I, I have two uh, male members of my family that have had cardiac issues, so uh, to me that immediately spoke of heart magic and cardiac magic using a a strawberry with pins and dandelions.
2: I think that's the kind of intuitiveness that people don't allow themselves to engage with, and it's really unfortunate. And it, that does come again from the in, the capitalistic influence uh, to go ahead and get on that leftist socialist uh, soapbox. Uh, <laughs> we have allowed ourselves to buy into the hype. We've allowed ourselves to close off our relationships so that we can do what publishers and retailers want us to do, which is buy their crystals, buy their plants, their herbs, make sure, you know, ooh, a real witch has an apothecary. You know, a real witch would have, you know, four different encyclopedias of herbs that have unsighted sources, but tell you that they're the gospel about what those herbs can do magically. Whereas you're walking down the street and you're building a relationship with a wild plant that you see, because that's what it, that's what it gives to you. And I love the, the morning glory, uh, especially because it is, you, just you talking about it, it's very clear that that is a gay ass plant because the fact that it would kick them <laughs> out- Mama. Own,
1: good for them. Oh, and it's Girl. violently purple. I was thinking, do you know what the image that kept popping into my head when you kept talking about her? I just thought of like the fairy godmother from Shrek 2. Oh my God, Jennifer Saunders? (laughs) Yes, 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 Jen Saunders. And she's wearing that red sparkly dress and she just goes, just, yeah, very that, very that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. That sounds about right.
2: Very that. We need to start, instead of masculine and feminine, uh, we need um, to start identifying plants as uh, drag queens and um, basic bitches.
0: Yes, that, no that is just about right.
2: Drag queens.
0: <laughs> that sounds perfect because I actually, I've actually seen some people start using more the idea of active and passive, but to be perfectly honest, I still do not see the aspect of, of feminine as passive. Um, I, I don't see that.
2: That's sexist to believe that women are passive and submissive to men.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I really don't like the con the conversation around that, especially like, and I, I think we should unpack it at a later time. but like y'all, most of the, the spirits that I'm working with are androgynous, queer, non-binary. Um, some of them are, are, are women. Like the spirits have made them known to me that they are like, no, I am a woman. Um, but not in the way that you would conceive it as being a human. But a lot of the times the spirits are mostly like a lot of the spirit pronouns that I use are like they, them.
0: And I don't get really gender with a lot of the way that I work with plants as much as I get, um, I will say, I will kind of go with the idea. I hate using words active and passive, but it's almost more like softer, more gentle working, uh, a little bit more uh, parental. And then I get some that are just a slap in the face. So you can't really put a gender to that. You, you just you just kind of go with with the kind of vibe they're giving off. Sometimes they're spicy and fiery. Sometimes they are very fluid and they're gentle. And, and sometimes they are two-faced. So... I don't know what gender that is.
2: <laughs> so that's a twink. Uh, that right. Was- <laughs> I was going to say they're queers. They're, they're queers. queers. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> a twink, that's definitely a twink uh, right there. Replace feminine and masculine and just start using uh, gay grinder tribes. Um, my dad's is- here
1: is a bear. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, my cypress tree is a femme butch biker. Yes, mama. This is my daddy, the palmetto. Mm hmm.
0: My uh Magnolia is a really sweet teddy bear leather daddy. Okay. <gasps> I
1: do,
2: mm-hmm. do mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Like like very sweet, cuddly, but also like really dumb at the same time. And then he speaks, and then you're just like, Yes. That's I like hot. that. Very soft, very soft. And I want to cuddle with you, but hold me tight. I'm moving on. It's a treat. Let's move on. <laughs> Thank you, Tree Daddy. Thank you, Tree Daddy. So as long as we're kind of on the Tree Daddy uh, area, maybe we should move to some final words of advice before we close out the episode today on bioregionalism and our experiences. I think we've put a lot out there so far, but um, Erin, if you want to go first for your final words of advice. What What can someone do to help start getting in touch more with their own land? i think a lot of people who may have a lot of who may have a lot of books on hand who have not really heard about this idea before what can someone do
2: yeah the first thing that you can do and i say this in all seriousness put all your books on the shelf and don't touch them for a hot minute go outside even if you're outside as a parking lot don't don't get this idea that you have to go anywhere special go outside and just as the kids would say vibe Feel that space, whether it's, you know, and and thinking in terms of accessibility, like if you're unable to go outside, open a window. If you're unable to open a window, sit in your spot, connect with your home. Get as close to yourself as you need to because there's spirit there. There are relationships to be forged. And spend time there, record that information, whether it is through a voice recording app or a notes app or a piece of paper or a book of shadows or a grimoire or whatever it is, sit in a spot and listen to the spirits. If you're one of those people who can't hear the voice of a spirit, then use your divination methods and sit there with it. Or just don't expect anything and go sit outside and just hang out. Spend time in the space where you want to develop your craft. Don't give yourself an expectation. Don't model yourself off of what another author said or what, even what I'm saying, don't model yourself off anybody. Be your most authentic self in the space that you want to be a witch in. And if that means that you start identifying as a parking lot witch, fucking do it. If you're a garbage witch, fucking do it. I don't care what your fucking label is. Just spend time in the space that you intend to do your magic in and you will build a bioregional practice.
1: I think it's important also for um, my final thoughts uh, is to do everything Aaron said um, <laughs> as terms in going outside, but also remember that like, I think, and I know this, as somebody who's had to work through a lot of the um, expectations that I have from spirit and putting a lot of expectation on myself on the receiving end, which I've learned through good friends and through lots of other work on the side that no, your experiences are real and, and valid and, and, um, Blah, blah, blah. But I think it's good to also know that a lot of the times when we talk about spiritual experiences, at least I can say personally, a lot of the times it's not verbal. It's not viscerally physical. It's not um, auditory. A lot of the times it is going to be subtle. It's going to be employing the doctrine of signatures, uh, which, you know, is... is is. Uh, noticing attributes to a plant or a person or a thing and, a, you know, kind of corresponding that um, it's going to be a lot of sitting and a lot of shutting up and listening. Um, and it's going to be a lot of um, learning. And it's also not a race as well. Uh, Cause I, I even have that issue. Um, be patient, be present, Uh, try to have less expectation on yourself and also less expectation on the spirits around you.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree with that actually was, you stole one of the things I was going to say because I actually like that you said specifically, it's not going to be some voice, you're not going to channel the voice of some tree or some plant, you're not going to hear it the same way you're hearing me or this conversation. It really is one of those feelings. It's a knowing that you get. And it's actually very difficult to sometimes put in into words. There are times that I feel like I sometimes will go on these walks. I, I can't tell you how much I love walks. I that, love walks. I love walks. They're, they're, it, it was really one of those things that, you know, during quarantine, I started doing them every single day and they got longer and longer and I explored more and I found places in the city I've lived in my whole life that I i had not been before and i felt like i was expanding upon what i thought my land was It, it it changed the color of 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 what the aura my the spirit of my land put out it changed the history it changed the identity i if i could give anyone advice it would be yes start by going outside that's a that's a really great idea if you can't go outside you can actually start learning about. The history of the city you live on. You could start learning about, you could go online and look at old newspaper articles, you could look at, at some of the history of, of the ancestry of the people that live there. I myself actually have a site on my link tree that tells you what native land you live on. What can you do to learn about the native land that you live on? How can you support the spirits that have long been there, whether that's financially, whether that's attention, whether that's by planting something in in, in their name and giving it a regular space. Uh, I can't expect everyone to just get up and move, but what I can expect people to do is to recognize that even if you can't get out of your house or you can because you have a massive one, you're on a plot of land that has a whole history um, I know I've talked about this before in the past, but my building has a long sorted history and in, in, in this little gay community that I live in. So I'm not only dealing with spirits of the land, I'm dealing with spirits of my home. Sometimes I will literally come inside my home and it'll smell of incense and I hadn't lit, lit incense in a couple of days because when I do light it, uh, I'm, I'm working with my ancestors, the spirits of my home, and I'm, I'm paying attention. And I know they're there, and sometimes I'll talk to them at the same time. And the thing is, is sometimes I'll also come home, I'll smell that incense and I'll be like, oh, hey, they were just chilling over here while I was was out of the gym, (laughs) you know? They're there, they're always there. The trick is, is we have to start paying attention and it's subtle.
1: Also, one last thing. If you really wanna give the spirits of your land money, uh land backs to native tribes like that's how you can incorporate money into into donative, uh into offerings to land spirits uh land back so
2: yeah double up on that absolutely figure out what unceded territory you live on uh find local native voices because they are there you're likely just not aware of them because of white supremacy and uh fucking support them
0: Absolutely, Erin. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast.
2: Thank you having for that. Thank you for having me on and listening to my windbag uh, idiocy.
0: I loved it. I enjoyed it.
2: I'm so glad. Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you. Thanks,
2: everyone.
1: Hello Seattle. Hello. Can you hear me?
2: I can hear I'm you. I'm Delilah. Welcome. <laughs> Not Delilah.
1: <laughs> Delilah.
0: Delilah. Oh, hey there Delilah. Don't you see how much you're missing?
2: I have so many I have so many memories of it being like A full moon late into the night, uh, driving along the Delaware coast with my grandmere, listening to Delilah, sleeping in the backseat of her little uh, BMW, because my grandmere was a fancy lady.
1: Come on, BMW.
0: Y'all, you will never guess what showed up in my DMs today. (laughs) I was uh, was going through recent messages, or, or, or received messages, and I got a message from this company or a recruiter looking to uh, have ambassadors. And they said, we have been going over your page and we think you would be a wonderful ambassador for our products. Please give us a message at smoothmyballs. Not smooth my balls, mama. Smooth my balls. Um, they looked at my page and they thought perfect, a gay witch would be a perfect ambassador or at smoothmyballs. I have actually not accepted the DM yet, so this is free advertising. I am not a- an ambassador at this point in time, but I figured you know what, I appreciated that I looked like someone who could represent smooth my balls. So, um that is out there. You can check them out.
2: <laughs> Why ride a broomstick when you can ride a razor to a smoother testicle? <laughs> <laughs> leave that witch sabbath behind and make
1: sure to hop in your shower instead oh my gosh that
0: was that was i i didn't know what to do with it so i thought i had to talk about it here